Okay, welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. Uh, you're listening to Sunshine USA, which is a, a program of Bible study. And I'm Warren Landis, the host of this program, and also your teacher of the Bible here on this program. Uh, so it is great to have you tuned in to the broadcast today. I actually have two editions of Sunshine USA that I do. Uh, one of them is on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, and that edition of Sunshine USA is a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the Word of God. And right now, in that particular series, I am on the book of Esther. I have already done several broadcasts on Esther and have quite a few more to go, even though Esther itself is a rather short book. It only has ten chapters. Now, on this particular edition of Sunshine USA, uh, I am doing a series of topical messages, and I believe both kinds of preaching and teaching are very important. I have a number of ministerial students who listen to uh, Sunshine USA, and one of the things I'm always glad to share with ministerial students is the fact that there's two kinds of preaching, essentially, in the church today. One is expository preaching, which is the kind I do on the other edition of Sunshine USA. That's where we go through the Bible one chapter at a time, starting with the very first chapter in Genesis, running right on through the last chapter in Revelation. Now, I have to tell you, that series is going to be running pretty long, because it's going to take us a long time for me to teach all the way through the Bible. Uh, I always tell people I may not live long enough to finish it, And you may not live long enough to hear it if I do. Amen. (laughs) Well, anyway, in this particular edition of Sunshine USA, I preach on different topics. And that is another kind of preaching that is necessary today in the church, and that is topical preaching. This is where we address topics that need to be addressed in the local church. Now... If you are a pastor and you have lived in your town or city a long time, uh, you already have a pretty good feel for the issues that are important in your particular town or city. And, of course, it's your duty and responsibility as a pastor to address uh, the issues of the day, the issues that your people are having to deal with. And uh, both kinds of Bible teaching and gospel preaching are necessary in the church today. And so on this edition, uh, we talk about different topics and what the Bible has to say about different topics. Now, today, of course, our Bible study broadcast is going to be on the subject of the last days. In fact, uh, <clears throat> I think the title of this uh, broadcast are these Broadcasts don't actually get a title until after the broadcast is finished, but the title of this particular broadcast will have something to do with the last days, and that is the topic that we are addressing on this particular broadcast of Sunshine USA today. And then tomorrow we'll be addressing another topic, and then after that we'll be addressing another topic. Uh, now, one thing I always love to tell preachers, as long as you stick to the Word of God, you don't have to worry about ever running out of anything 
to preach because there will always be something for you to preach. I, I like to share about how when I first started out in the ministry, I think my first sermon was about 15 minutes long. And in that 15 minutes, I pretty much covered everything I knew about the Bible at that particular time. Now, fortunately, I could say today, 15 minutes would not be near enough time for me to tell you everything I know about the Bible. <laughs> and that's why I have two different Bible study series going on on the internet today, because I know enough about the Word of God today that it takes a long time to tell people what I think the Word of God teaches. Amen. <laughs> so there you have it. Now, in just a few minutes, we'll begin reading uh, in, I believe it's Second Timothy. Yes, Second Timothy chapter 3 will be starting with verse 1. And that'll be coming up in a minute. So if you want to go ahead and turn to that, that would be great. Um, but I do want to tell you that if you would like for me to come to your church, I would love to come to your church. Uh, all you have to do is shoot me an email. And I could tell you about what dates I have available and what all you have to do uh, to have me come to your particular church. And... I am happy to report I don't preach for money. So, you know, it's not like I'm going to say, you know, you have to have hundreds or thousands of dollars for me to come and talk to your church. Uh, I have actually heard of some preachers that have said, you know, I won't come for less than $1,000 or I won't come for less than $500. Well, <laughs> uh, I, I want to tell you that in most cases, you could have me come to your church for a whole lot less than that. Uh, first of all, I'm uh, what they call semi-retired, so I have Social Security retirement income to fall back on, so I don't really need an income. And uh, so when I come to a church these days to preach or teach, uh, the only thing I ask the church to do is to cover the expenses. And uh, that would mean things like hotels or meals or things of that nature, and and if the pastor wants to put me up in his home while I'm in revival, uh, that would be fine. That would be fine in most cases. Uh, but anyway, you can shoot me an email, and I can give you the information that you need if you would like to have me come to your church. Uh, my mailing address is Warren Landis, 3001 Old Buncombe Road, Apartment number 8, eight that is apartment 8, one time, Greenville, South Carolina, 29609. Now, once again, that snail mail address is Warren Landis, 3001 Old Buncombe Road, apartment 8, Greenville, South Carolina, 29609. That's the mailing address if you would like me to um, send you some information about how you can have me come to your church, uh, and also if you feel that of the Lord to enclose uh, a love offering <laughs> inside the envelope there, that would be very helpful. It will help us as we uh, try to expand this particular ministry. You will also notice that as you listen to this program, there's a button you can push. 
if you would like to make a contribution to this particular broadcast. And uh, that, would be, that would be another way for you to very easily contribute to this program. So, you know, you don't have to have <laughs> the snail mail address to send me a contribution. You can actually simply use the donation button, and it will tell you what to do step by step to make that happen. Um, and also, if you want to send me any prayer requests or testimonies as to what this broadcast, Sunshine USA, means to you, that would mean a lot to me as well. Now, my email address, if you would like to communicate with me that way, is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. It's all lowercase, warrenlandis at yahoo.com. And I take seriously any prayer requests that you want to send my way. If you have uh, questions about Bible study, I'll be glad to deal with that. Um, just feel free to contact me. And you don't have to worry about... Uh, trying to get through to my staff, because <laughs> right now, in all honesty, I don't have too much of a staff here. I do pretty much everything. This is uh, basically a small uh, home-based ministry. Uh, we don't have the large staff that other ministries have, and so if you were to contact me, you're going to be dealing with me, not one of my secretaries or uh, not somebody else on the staff. You're going to be communicating with me directly. And I think maybe that's a good way to be. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, I hope that you will contact me if you have any uh, prayer requests or if you would like me to come to your church or a Christian organization to teach or preach. I would love that. I'm also available for uh, mission conferences. I would be glad to come to your church, for example, and, and tell you about the mission work being done by Sunshine USA, uh, in the hopes, of course, that your church would feel led of the Lord to take this ministry on as a missions project. That would be very helpful. <laughs> but uh, right now we're going to get into the Word, but first let's go to the Lord, the Word of Prayer. Dear Lord, I just want to pray right now that you will be with me. As I teach and preach your word, I pray, O oh God, that you will give me the words to say today that somebody needs to hear. Lord, I, I pray that you'll put a guard at my mouth and not let me say anything you don't want me to say. But Lord, I pray that I'll say everything that you want me to say. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, now let's get out your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting with verse 1, and we're going to be talking, like I say, on the subject of life in the last days. Here we see in verse 1 where Paul says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Let me read that again. This know also, that in the last days perilous times will come. Now, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting that Paul felt like he was living in the last days, and yet, you know, this was something like 2,000 years ago. And yet Paul thought that he was living in the last days. I had a Bible professor in college that told me something very interesting. He said, the Bible was originally written so that every generation could feel that they were living in the last days. The Bible was originally written 
so that every generation could feel that they were living in the last days. In other words, every generation hopefully would see the need to make a decision for Jesus Christ while there's still that opportunity to do so. Because the day is coming when you won't have that opportunity anymore. Uh, for one reason, like I say, I believe we're living in the last days. Another reason is we don't know when our day to die is going to come. Now, many of you know that recently uh, Kobe Bryant, a very talented young basketball player, died in a helicopter crash along with his 13-year-old daughter. And you see, the thing about it is, we don't know when our last day on this earth is going to be. You know, we might have many more years to live. We may have only a few more years to live. We may not even have another day to live. Now, I'm sure when Kobe Bryant woke up that Sunday morning that he died, uh, I'm sure that when he got aboard that helicopter, he wasn't thinking, I'm about to die. I'm going to be dead maybe in an hour. And so is my daughter. I mean, Kobe Bryant was actually a very young man by today's standards. I mean, he was 41 years old. His daughter was even younger, only 13 years old. And basically, either one of them had every right to believe, hey man, we've got many more years in order to live, and yet both of them were down to their last hour of life upon this earth. We don't know when our last day is going to be. And so that's why it's always important for us to get saved and come to know Christ as Savior while we still have that opportunity to do so. Because you see, the day is coming when you and I will no longer have that opportunity. Amen. The day is coming when you and I will either die and will no longer be able to be saved, or the Lord will come back in the rapture. Now, the way I see it, the rapture is going to be the next prophetic event to take place upon this earth. Now, when will it take place? I don't know. I mean, I personally think it could happen in my lifetime. It could happen today. It might happen 100 years from now. I don't know. The Bible warns that we're not to be date setters. We don't know the day or the hour when the Son of Man cometh. But that day is coming. Now, in my case, I mean, here I am. I'm 65 years old, semi-retired. <laughs> I've been a bivocational preacher during most of my ministry. I've now retired as far as the secular work is concerned though I'm still trying to be as active in the ministry as I can be. And I don't know when the day is coming when I'm going to die, but I know that day is closer now than it's ever been before. Amen? I'm closer to death now than ever before. And yet at the same time, at the same time, I have to take note of the fact that I need to do for the Lord today whatever I can do for today. Now, one of the things I like about technology is the fact 
the way I see it, whenever my time comes, I have the capability of preaching on the internet for many years after I die. <laughs> Amen. Because you see, every broadcast that I do on Sunshine USA, it is archived. And you could actually go back and listen to it whenever you want to. Amen. I thank God for that. One of these days, I'm going to be preaching the gospel, and it'll be the last sermon I preach, but that sermon will be available in archive for some time to come. And because of that, I don't believe there's anything I could do on this earth today more important than that of preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you see, nothing else is going to matter. Now, this past Sunday night, for example, here in the United States, we had a big event called the Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl is a big football game that comes around once a year. And the winner of that game goes on to be the national NFL football champs for the next 12 months. Amen. <laughs> it's a great event. People love to watch that game. But you know, 100 years from now, it's not going to matter who played in the Super Bowl. A hundred years from now, it's not going to matter who won the Super Bowl. A hundred years from now, it's not going to matter who the MVP is. You see, a hundred years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is what you decided to do about Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's going to matter a hundred years from now. You might be an investor. And you get up every morning and you're looking for something new and exciting to invest in. Well, let me tell you something. I don't care what you invest in. A hundred years from now, it ain't going to matter. I heard this one preacher preach on television. He's one of these health and wealth preachers. He's one of these prosperity preachers. He says, yes, I'm making a lot of money, he says, and he said, that's because I'm going to heaven and I don't want to go there broke. Well, folks, I tell you, that's the only way you will go to heaven is to go there broke. You can't carry one single penny from this life into eternity. It's humanly impossible. You can't do it. Now, those of you that have a lot of money, your loved ones are probably going to spend years fighting about who gets what. Now, you know, that's not going to happen in my case because I don't have much. <laughs> I don't have much. I'm almost as poor as a man can be. Amen. But one of these days, when I go to heaven, it's not going to matter how much or how little I have because, you see, I'm going to move into my heavenly mansion. I'm going to have access to things that money can't buy. No matter how much of it you have. Amen. One of these days I'm going to be reunited with all my friends and loved ones that have gone to heaven before. Amen. You can't put a price tag on that, folks. Amen. Okay, let's uh, read on here. I think uh, we're ready to tackle the second part of that verse. It says, In the last days, 
perilous times shall come. In the last days, perilous times shall come. You see, uh, I think it's more difficult now to be a, a Christian than ever before. I'll be honest with you about it. I think it's more difficult now to be in the gospel ministry than ever before. And I say that based on years of experience. I have been a Christian now for over half a century. For over 50 years now, I have been a Christian. As near as I can calculate, I've been a Christian for about 51 years. Over half a century. And I can tell you 51 years ago, it was a whole lot easier being a Christian than it is today. I, I find that today, it's actually much harder to be a Christian than ever before. And part of the reason for that is that we're living in the last days. We're living possibly in one of the most ungodly generations that the world knows anything about. Okay, let's uh, read on here. It says, For men, verse 2, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Conscious, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Boy, I tell you, we could spend maybe an hour just in this one verse breaking it down word by word, phrase by phrase. It says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. I think we certainly have to agree that there's probably a lot of truth in that. Uh, I remember one time uh, when I was a teenager, I had gone to youth camp, and the youth camp pastor for that week um asked us this question. He said, if you're looking at a picture and you're in that picture, what is the first person you're going to look at? He said, well, the answer to that question for most of you is going to be you. And that is that, and that's because most of us think pretty highly of ourselves. You know, um, <laughs> I get amused at today's technology. One of the things that we do today that I don't think we've ever done before is taking selfies of ourselves. Um, we didn't used to do that in the old days. <laughs> Back in the old days before we had camera phones, uh, I don't know that anybody ever took a picture of themselves. So the phrase selfie is a phrase that's relatively new to this generation. But I'm told that people like to take selfies more than they like to take pictures of any other thing. In fact, now they sell stuff in the stores to actually help you if you want to make a good selfie. They have the ability, for example, some stores will sell you a, what they call a selfie stick. Other stores will sell you a tripod. So you can put your smartphone on the tripod and you can set the timer on your phone 
and you could take a picture of yourself. And then there's all kinds of photo editing apps that allow you to do creative things with your selfie. Uh, one of the things I experimented with just this past weekend, I learned how to make myself into a cartoon character. Now, those of you that follow me on, on YouTube or Facebook, just look up the name Warren Landis and you should be able to find my stuff. Uh, I actually uh, downloaded a selfie of me having turned myself into a cartoon character. Now, it was a lot of fun. It was humorous. But it all goes to show that most of us are probably more self-centered than we ever thought about. The Bible says in last days, men will become lovers of themselves. You know, you, you watch a commercial on television, and they're trying to sell you something. A lot of times, the voice on that commercial, it will tell you, you need to buy this. You know why? Because you deserve it. You're entitled to this. You're, you deserve this. You deserve a break today, so get up and get away to McDonald's. I mean, that's the kind of advertising we see and hear on television today. And it has a certain amount of, of appeal because we basically like ourselves. Believe it or not, we do. We may say, I don't like anything about me. We say that, but we don't mean that. Because when you think about it, we're actually pretty self-centered. Maybe more so than we've ever thought about. Well, let's read on. It says here, shall be lovers of their own selves, covetousness, or covetous. Now, to be covetous means that you want something else that somebody else has. Now, let me talk for a couple of minutes here about what covetousness is and what it's not. Covetousness is not simply wanting something else that somebody else has. Um, necessarily. For example, let's say you have a new car. It's not necessarily wrong for me to say, well, you know, I wish I had a new car. But when you get to the point where you become obsessed with having a new car for no other reason than the fact that your friend has a new car, that becomes covetousness. And, and you know, I have found that preachers can be very covetous. They want a big church. You know why? Because the guy they went to seminary with, he has a big church and they want a big church too. Covetousness. Sometimes churches can be covetous. Sometimes you have a church that wants to build a gymnasium. You know why? Because the church down the road, they have a gymnasium. Only I had one pastor tell me, he said, uh, at our church, we don't call it a gym. He says, we call it a family life center. 
And he said, the reason we call it a family life center, because it sounds better to raise money to build a family life center than to build a gymnasium. You know? But we want a gymnasium because the church down the road, they have a gymnasium. They have one, so we want one. I uh, heard about one church one time. They built a gymnasium. You guessed it, pretty much for the same reason that a lot of other churches build them. And that is the fact that the church down the road, they had a gym, so they wanted a gym. And so they spent about six or seven hundred thousand dollars building a gym. Now, more specifically, they actually went about six or seven hundred thousand dollars in debt to build a gymnasium. And then that church, when the gymnasium was finished, guess what? The pastor resigned. He felt led of the Lord to go to another church. Now, of course, you know what happens usually when a pastor resigns. When a pastor resigns, you're going to find that when a pastor resigns, there's usually a drop in membership, there's usually a drop in attendance, and there's usually a drop in the offerings. And that church declined to the point where not too long after the pastor resigned, they were at a point where they could no longer afford to make the minimum payment on their gymnasium. And had they not merged with another congregation, that church probably would have ended up in foreclosure. Why? Because they built a gymnasium out of covetousness. They wanted a gymnasium, you see, because all the other churches in town had a gymnasium. And they didn't want to end up being the only church in town without a gymnasium. And you know, the sad thing about it is, they hadn't really figured out what they were going to do with that gymnasium after they built it. I had a professor in seminary who gave us some very wise advice. He said, if you're ever going to raise money to build a building, no matter what kind of building it is, he says, always decide what you're going to do with that building before you begin raising the money to build it. Now, I have to tell you, folks, that's pretty sound advice. Don't go out here and build a building and then have a series of meetings at the church to try to decide what to do with the building after you build it. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. He says, uh, boasters, proud. Now, I meet people sometimes that are so filled with pride, they're always boasting about their accomplishments. There was this one guy that I knew in Mississippi. He was my neighbor for a period of time, and it seems like every time I mentioned someone that was well-known, he said, oh yeah, that, that's a friend of mine. And 
over time, he kept bragging about all these famous people that he knew. Now, the thing that was so interesting here, he was struggling financially. He had all kinds of financial problems. And, of course, part of me is thinking, well, if you know all these famous people, why are you in the shape that you're in? <laughs> One day he told me that uh, he was a personal friend of Amy Grant, you know, the famous contemporary Christian singer. He said that uh, he and Amy Grant knew each other very well. And he said, uh, in fact, he said, just last weekend I was over at Amy Grant's house in Nashville, Tennessee. And I just had a good time visiting with her. Well, I knew something about Amy Grant's schedule back in those days. Back in those days, I was a Christian radio DJ. And uh, I happened to know that Amy Grant that weekend was out of town. She was doing uh, a Christian concert in another part of the country. She was not at home in Nashville, Tennessee that weekend. You see, I called him in a lot. And I was not afraid to bring that to his attention. Oh, he, he said, well, I, I meant some other weekend. He was trying to back out of that as graciously as he could figure out, but he was definitely embarrassed that he had been caught in a lie. You see, the truth of the matter is, I figured out he didn't know half the people that, that he bragged about knowing. And most of the people that he bragged about knowing if I had called them up on the phone or wrote them a letter and, and asked them, do you know so-and-so? They would say, so-and-so, who? I don't know that guy. <laughs> you see, we are boasters. We're proud. You know? A lot of times we love to brag about our accomplishments. I heard about a Christian business owner one time. He said he became keenly aware of that every time he went into his office to look at resumes that had been sent in by people that were wanting to come to work for his organization. He said on these resumes, people were bragging about all of their academic accomplishments and all their personal and business accomplishments. He said, when I started doing some background checking on these resumes, he said, I found out half the stuff they were putting down wasn't even true. And that's because, you see, as human beings, we are boastful. We are proud. We might even have a tendency to be a bit on the arrogant side. And Paul says, in the last days, that's how people are going to be. Blasphemers, saying all kinds of terrible things about God and the Bible and the people of God. Folks, you start doing that, you're walking on dangerous territory. I mean, I'm here to tell you, you're, you're walking on dangerous territory. When you start attacking God or the people of God, and when you start attacking a preacher, let me warn you, you're walking on dangerous territory. Now, you know, if I'm a member of a church and I'm 
having a lot of disagreements with my pastor, I'm not going to criticize that pastor. I might feel led of the Lord to go to another church, but I'm not going to criticize that pastor. And I'm especially not going to criticize that pastor publicly. Now, if the pastor is doing something, for example, that is morally wrong, that I think is an embarrassment to the kingdom, then I might go to that pastor privately and say, Pastor, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. This is not right. This is not pleasing to the Lord. But I'm still not going to spend any time publicly condemning that pastor by name. I'm just not going to do it. Because I know that if I do it or you do it, we're walking in dangerous territory. It says here, disobedient to parents. Let me say that again. Disobedient to parents. Now, people that know me, you know that both of my parents have died. I have a mother that died about 21 years ago, almost 22 years ago. And I have a dad that died almost exactly a year ago this month. So my, pa my parents are no longer alive upon this earth. But I still respect anything and everything they taught me. I would like to think that if my, pa if my parents had the ability to come back to this earth and they could see what I'm doing for the Lord and they could see the life that I'm living, I would like to think they would be pleased. I would like to think that they would feel like I was living in a way that is consistent with the way I was brought up. But the Bible says we are to obey our parents. Now, by the way, that obligation doesn't go away when you turn 18 or 21. Some of you teenagers out there in high school, you're probably saying, well, I can't wait till I turn 18 or 21 so I don't have to obey my parents anymore. You see, the Bible doesn't specify that by age 18 or by age 21, you no longer have to be obedient to your parents. It just says obedient to parents. Um, after I finished college and seminary, I went back for a period of time and lived with my mom and dad. Now, I was actually noticeably past the age of 21 at that point. But I can tell you this, when I lived with my mom and dad, I lived by their rules. And I was subject to their authority. And I dared not disobey them for as long as I lived in their house. And let me say this, if you're 25, 30 years old and you're living with your parents, and they feel like they can put up with you while you get on your feet, that's fine. But just understand that as long as you put your feet under your parents' table while you sleep under their roof, you obey them. You comply with the rules that they have set forth. And that is so important. Now, why is it so important for us as Christians to obey our parents in the first place? Well, first of all, it's because for most of us, 
Our parents are the very first authority figure that we come in contact with. Our parents are the very first authority figure that we come in contact with. And if we don't get into the habit of obeying our parents, we're never going to get into the habit of obeying God. And of course, ultimately, God has even more authority over us than our parents do. How is a young person ever going to respect the authority that their government has if they don't learn to obey their parents? How is a young person ever going to obey their employer if they don't first learn to obey their parents? And that's why it's so fundamentally important for young people and even young adults to learn to obey your parents. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's read on. It says, disobedient to parents, unthankful. Uh, now, I don't know anything, to be honest with you, I don't know anything worse than the sin of ingratitude. Uh, I believe you ought to be grateful and thankful for anything and everything people do for you. I mean, I try to remember to this day the great things that people did for me. You know, I was so poor when I was coming up through seminary, for example. Even the poor students at seminary prayed for me and the needs that I had. <laughs> I, I, I remember talking to one seminary student and they told me that they were tired of eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And I said, you mean you had bread? <laughs> Sometimes when I was in seminary, each of us seminary students took turns talking about how hard we were having it. But uh, the fact of the matter is, as we that love the Lord, we are to be Christians who choose be thankful and grateful for all that people have done for us. I, I remember when I was a student at seminary, we had a situation where um, where um, they took up an offering for me, and they called it the slow fund. It stood for show love on Warren. You see, I haven't forgotten that to this day, and, and that was several decades ago now. But I haven't forgotten that to this day. That was in the range of 35, 40 years ago. But to this day, I remain eternally grateful for anything and everything people have ever done to help me financially or any other way. I believe that is so important. Now, let's uh, read on. Uh, it says here, unholy. Unholy. Um, I believe that you and I should strive to live holy lives. And that is, we should live lives that are fully dedicated to the Lord. 
And, and this is not just talking to preachers, by the way. This is talking about anybody and everybody who knows Christ as Savior and Lord. The Bible says we are to live holy lives. We are to live lives that are set apart for God. And your life ought to be set apart for God. It doesn't matter whether you are a Sunday school teacher or preaching, preacher or deacon or elder or usher or whatever. You might be just a person in the pew. But the Bible says we are to live holy lives. Lives that are set apart for God. Holy. That is the kind of lives that you and I need to be living. Well, now we're ready to go on to the next verse. Verse 3. Without natural affection, truth-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despiser of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. Now, some of these are self-explanatory, and some maybe need to be commented on, uh, but most of these are indeed and in fact self-explanatory. And certainly we know that today people are lovers of pleasure for the most part more than lovers of God. Now, if you doubt this for one minute, I want you to take a look at how well attended how well attended sporting events are and then look how well attended your church services are i saw a picture on facebook it was actually two pictures side by side it showed a football stadium with about a hundred thousand fans wildly cheering on their favorite team and then it showed the inside of a church auditorium on Sunday morning and just a handful of pre people present there in that service. Men you see today have become people who love pleasure more than the things of God. I made mention a while ago about uh, um, the Super Bowl that took place just this past Sunday night. Well, now, the Super Bowl obviously had a huge audience on television, not to mention probably 100,000 that were there in person. And unfortunately, many churches this past Sunday night canceled their church services on Sunday night so that their members could watch the Super Bowl instead of coming to church. And I think that's a sad commentary. If, if we love a football game more than we love going to church, I, I tell you folks, that says something bad about your Christian walk. If you're thinking, well, this football game is a little bit more important to me tonight than worshiping God at church, I think there's something wrong with that. One pastor told me uh, he was one of the churches that had canceled their services for Sunday night. 
And, um, and I said, why did you do that? And he said, well, I know that my members, they're going to watch the football game, the Super Bowl at home on television. And he said, I don't want them to have to be absent from church in order to do that. So I'm not going to have church service on Sunday night. That way they don't have to choose between the church service and the things of God. And I said, well, it sounds to me like you're making that decision for them. You're telling them by your actions that you believe the football game is more important than their coming to church on Sunday night. I tell you what, folks, if I'm pastor of a church and it's Super Bowl Sunday, we are going to have church on Sunday night. If I were your pastor on Super Bowl Sunday night, you're going to have to choose between whether you want to come to church or whether you want to watch the Super Bowl. Now, you're free to make whatever decision you want to make there. But I'm not going to cancel the church service just because it's Super Bowl Sunday night. No way, Jose. Um, and of course, needless to say, sporting events today are, are really quite popular. You know, uh, Sunday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, turn the TV on. I guarantee you, on just about every channel, there's going to be some kind of sporting event. And then, it says here in verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, he says, from such turn away, having a form of godliness. I was watching a church service on television one Saturday night a few weeks ago. And uh, this is one of those um, churches, they have a contemporary form of worship. And um, on this uh, contemporary form of worship, they were playing Christian music, but it was contemporary Christian music. And and really, to be honest with you, if you closed your eyes and you were just listening to the music without watching the screen, you would probably swear you were in a nightclub somewhere. And if there was any doubt about that, this church had flashing lights and psychedelic lights and strobe lights and then they had the smoke filling the auditorium. Like I say, you would have thought you were in a rock concert somewhere. It basically did not even look like a traditional church service. Now, folks, I, I, I got to tell you, I've got reservations about that. I mean, I seriously do. I have to tell you, I believe personally that there is something distinctive about Christian music. People ought to be able to tell the difference between Christian music and the music of this world. Somebody said one time, well, you know, we have to have all this contemporary Christian music, you see, because that's the kind of music people are listening to today, and we'll never reach today's young people if we don't have this psychedelic 
rock and roll type music in our church. Well, let me tell you something, folks. If you study the Bible carefully, as I've done for many years, you understand nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible does it say that we are to use music as a tool of evangelism. In the Bible, music is always used for the purpose of praise and worship. And praise and worship, of course, can only be done by people who already know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So the purpose of music is to worship and praise God, not to try to reach somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe, frankly, that's where preaching comes in. That's where the preaching of the word comes in. Amen. Now, Let's uh, read on. It says, For this sort are they which creep in the houses. <laughs> Notice it says here they creep in the houses. You know, a, a thief, for example, he doesn't boldly walk into your home or place of business. They sneak in there. They creep in there. They don't want to be seen. You know? <laughs> It's kind of interesting when you watch these uh, videos that are taken with surveillance cameras of different businesses that have been robbed, or maybe you're seeing a video of a bank that's been robbed. People have covers over their head. They don't want to be seen. They want to be sneaky. They want to be creepy. Because, you see, they don't want to be seen. They don't want to draw attention to themselves. And, of course, that's the way Satan is. He always tries to sneak up and entrap you that way. Amen. And this will be even more so in the last days. The Bible says, forever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I know some people, folks, that I honestly believe are educated beyond their intelligence. I mean, I kid you not. I know some people that, in my opinion, they are educated beyond their intelligence. I mean, they have all kinds of degrees. They have all kinds of education. They have been to all kinds of schools all across America and in some cases, countries around the world. And yet, if they don't know God, then what has all that accomplished for them? The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I'm getting a heads up here from my producer. We are basically out of time. Uh, so I do want to say that we're going to have to wrap it up here and we'll get more into the Word of God next time on the next broadcast. But I do want to say that um, um, be praying for this ministry, Sunshine USA. Uh, like I say, I have two goals in mind for this ministry. One is to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the other is to teach the Bible so that Christians can learn more about the Bible. Now, I would say preaching 
the gospel to the lost is maybe more the purpose I have in mind for this particular edition of Sunshine USA, where I do topical preaching. Now, in the other edition, we do verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter teaching through the Word. Now, that's probably aimed more at Christians than this series here. But either way, I have a twofold goal in this ministry, and that is to preach the gospel to the lost and teach the Bible to those who are already saved, so that those who are already saved can come to know uh, more about the Bible. Well, like I say, we're down to our final minute or two here, so let me just say... uh, that I've enjoyed being with you today, and I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.